All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> nice. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, that was very artistic of you, Thank you. singing yeah. like that. Which I, is... I think outside the box. That's you that's do. what I like to think about myself. Yeah. In, in, in a what, box, what is that? Thinking outside a box. Nice. Well, kind of fits with the topic of the show. It does. That's what I was trying to do is trying to put a transition yeah, in. There. I like that. Yeah. Segway. It's especially effective whenever I say that that's what I'm doing. Yeah. It's yeah, especially when you do it after. Right. You, so there you go. If you do it before, then people then, are expecting it. Mm-hmm. And nobody so, expects this. So I, I'm throwing this out. If this is a uh, episode from uh from work life, you know, by Adam Grant that dropped, I don't know, in in mid-December. And so uh, I shared it with you, and then I've been sharing it with some other people too because I thought it was really important. Um, the the episode is called "Your Brain on Art" with Ivy Rose and Susan Magsiman. Yeah. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. One percent are Magsiman, and Ross wrote uh, a book called "Your Brain on Art." And so Adam Grant had an episode where he was talking about the importance of the arts. And not just the importance of the arts uh, like out there as, hey, like this is the benefit that art can do for society and, mm. and things like that, which, you know, I think you and I both are lovers of the arts. Yeah. So we, w- we would buy into that. Absolutely. But I think 100%. more than that, you and I both are s- science minded people. And this episode spends a lot of time talking about, OK, if we want to be a STEM minded society – then we cannot forget the arts. Yes. This and so what, what Ross and Magsiman do in this episode is talk a lot about the cognitive benefits of, of the arts, whether yes. it's you know music or visual arts or whatever. And Dance, you know all the all the things. Yeah, all, all of the arts. And you and I are not um, experts on art. We've no, we had we've had friend of the show Leslie Gates on the show, and maybe we could bring her back to talk about this. Um, but I think well, we can't bring her back to talk about this because we're talking about it right now, right? And we can't. Leslie's not here. Well, not not in this episode, but maybe oh, in I a see. future episode, some future episode to talk. Some future about. episode, maybe she could cycle back around and cycle share her back. opinions. Because yeah. I did share this episode with her, mm-hmm. and I shared it with my wife, who's a school counselor, because. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that often happens in schools is like arts are sometimes some of the first things they cut. Yep. It's like, okay, well, yeah, let's cut that pottery class or do we really need new band instruments this year? Yep. No. No. Let's 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 just cut that because we need science equipment. Science. Uh, It's not in fairness, it's not usually for science. It's usually for English. It's usually not even for English. It's for reading and math. If things yeah. get cut like the arts, but yes, carry on with your, I, I interrupted you in your. No, no, it's okay. It was just a tirade. Um, uh-huh. I was going to call so, it that, but yeah, I, I fully embrace the tirade or rant. Yeah. But I will, I will say I grew up, um, I was never an artist, but I w- I would mm. say I'm, I've been, you know, in music, like growing up, I, we, music was something our family did. My, I was a, you know, a trumpet player. My brother was a saxophone player. Uh, my, my brother was a drummer. We all, um, sang. 
I sang badly, but I trill, still mm. was in the church choir. I was in the, you know, and so it, the, arts are important. And I never saw them as being like, oh, I'm doing this because they benefit me and my physics brain. No. They just brought me joy. Yes. And yes, that would be that would be weird if in, in especially in the early days, if that's the way you thought about your art or your music. Yeah. But I think that what this episode and also some of the research they share, which I, I I've shared that with you too, um, says is that okay, we should be doing it for the joy, but there's also these other benefits that come with it that we just can't we can't just take them. If it's just joy, let's just cut it out. No, 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 no. The the joy is important, but also there's other benefits that are important too. Yes. Agreed. And and yeah. those benefits, as they always have to be framed, if you want something to be important in school, you've got to frame it around cognitive. Like it helps you with your thinking, your learning, your other stuff, right? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, one of the well, I'm we'll we'll stay we'll stay with the uh the sunshine and rainbows, and then I can be the little dark storm cloud later. Yeah. So continue well, with the, with the uh, rainbows and unicorns. Well, one of the articles that they they cite in this episode was uh, it's it's specifically titled "Arts Foster Scientific Success." Yes. Avocations of Nobel, National Academy, Rural Society, and Sigma Chi members. Yep. Yep. Or some, I think I might got the, my Greek letter wrong. I think it's I think sim, you did sim, because Sigma Chi is a fraternity. fraternity. Sigma Psi. There you it's go. Sigma Psi. Sure. I think it's Sigma Psi. And uh, so it's a bunch of researchers from Michigan State University, and they looked at uh, the biographies mm. of different Nobel Prize winners and all these recognized uh, scientists. Yes. And found like it was. Now it's it's important that we say this is not causational. Or no, causal. in fact, Adam Grant specifically refers. Yes, to it. Yeah. It, there is a correlation mm. between sci- people who have been awarded these, you know, scientific awards or scientific recognitions, and their, you know, whether it's arts or crafts or music or whatever they're involved in, that was significant. And their participation is the other things. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think so that causation, for those of you who are not a causation causality uh, hair splitter, like some of us are, um, all that means is just because those things coexist in these people doesn't mean that one causes the other, right? Because they could co, they could be just the nature of the person, that they are a creative person and that manifests in multiple ways, which includes both the way that they do science and the way that they do other things in their lives. And it's not that the science or the art causes the other one to be right. more or less creative. So let me just share. I'll, I'll read a little bit to you. It, it says, the thanks, result- Uncle Ali. Hold on. Yeah. Let me pull up my chair by the fireplace. <laughs> I know you like that. I will not do any funny voices. Uh, Calypso Joe will not make an appearance in this reading. <laughs> you mean just your regular funny voice, not, not your... The results demonstrate that Nobel laureates are at least as likely and as much as a factor of eight times more likely to be photographers than the average scientists, at least a factor of two or as much as 
18 more likely to be a practicing musician, composer, or conductor, and at least a factor of seven times more likely to be a visual artist, sculptor, or printmaker. At least a factor of 7.5 times more likely to be mm. a craftsperson engaged in woodwork, mechanics, electronics, glass blowing, and so on. And at least a factor of 12 times more likely to be to write poetry, short stories, plays, essays, novels, or popular books. Mm-hmm. And, and here's the wait kick. for it. Wait for it. And at least a factor of 22 times more likely to be an amateur actor, dancer, magician or uh, other performer. Yeah. yeah. Magician's a funny one because that in the Adam Grant uh episode he he was he used to be a magician or maybe still is a magician. I think he is. He's an actor. maybe once you're a magician, you're always a magician. Maybe that's yeah. Yeah. You know, like the Marines. Like once you're a Marine, you're always a Marine. Once you're a magician, once you're, you're always you can't escape that label. You're no, a magician. You're a magician. Yes. yes. It's just whether you're a practicing magician, I guess. I don't know. But that is pretty interesting stuff, even though it's not like causal. Yeah. I, not causal. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, we've come at this from other angles in the past, right? Which is to sure. say that we've, we've talked about um, not just that science as an activity is a creative activity um, because we have talked about that, but specifically that's part of the shift that we're trying to think about pedagogically with science is to get kids to create. I mean, we don't talk about it explicitly that way, but we, but, but that is the intent. We want them to create their own understanding, their own models, their own explanations. And, and seeing that as a creative activity, I think is important too, because it is a creative activity. Sometimes it's communal or there are aspects of it that are communal, but art, Canon is that way as well. So it's not like that's a special exception. Um, so I think, yeah, that this idea that, um, again, that, you know, our schools are mostly designed to, uh, to reduce or constrain students' creative activity, regardless of whether that's in art or math or whatever science, um, so thinking about that and thinking about how to how to re envision some of our schools to better support creativity, I think I think everybody should be in support of that. And again, increasingly support of that in in the way that technology is impacting how we think about our roles in the world. Yeah, I think one of the things that's in the this episode is this duality of creating and beholding. Yeah, that was an interesting contrast. I like that. I, I really like that too. Because I think that the way that science is traditionally practiced, it's beholding. Maybe, though I think they treat beholding very positively in that episode. They're not treat I think because they're not they are saying you should do or be you know, that creation is part of it, but they're also recognizing, you know, that Adam Grant talks about like being in nature versus being in an art gallery. Um but but the women who are talking about art are talking about that we don't how superficial our experience typically is with art, whatever form, right? Um, that that you know, like they were talking about in visual, like in a museum of visual arts, people take seconds looking at any given painting or or piece of art, right? They don't spend time with it, beholding. So I think they're they're trying to. Push beholding into a oh yeah yeah so I I, category. I I I see what you're trying to say I was 
I you you missed I was missing it for a second there. But you were saying that beholding is more than just you know consuming. Yes, that's exactly right. right. Yes, right. And I was kind of putting it from like consuming, creating on the same, like we have to consume and create, yep. like you can't really be a good musician if you don't consume music, I yep. think, I don't know. I mean, I would think that if you're going to, I don't know, if you're going to be a good baker, you've got to like eat some stuff, right? Yeah. But I think, you know, and you, and I think you're a good example of this in lots of ways, right? In terms of, of your music and for example, Tanya's baking and your ice cream and limoncello making, right? So there is also a difference between consuming, and this is the distinction I was trying to make, is like if we see it as a continuum, like consuming on one end, like everybody eats. Yeah. Um, and every, and and the creative on the other end. But there's a, a space in between that they were describing as beholding in terms of art that I think you would talk about in terms of it's a more um, – it's a deeper, more analytical in some cases, but maybe sure. not always, but – like engaged experience with like when you, when you eat Tanya's cookies, you eat them and say, mm, that's good. But you also think about them and think about them compared to other cookies and how that cookie recipe maybe doesn't work exactly the way you want it to or whatever. And that feels more like beholding to me, the way that they're characterizing it, like a deeper engagement with the process than just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah I so ate, I ate the cookie and it was, yeah. Good. So, so I, from that perspective, I, I then a traditional science classroom is not beholding, not even beholding. It's, no, it's strictly consuming, and maybe not even as good as right. <laughs> It's like, hey, like let's just run past some content. Like, right. It's like it's like uh, it's like if if all your meals were served to you via fire hose, and you, <laughs> and you just opened your mouth, and whatever got in got in, and that was, yeah, that's what you consumed. Yeah, but I, I do really I, I I love that term beholding. I love it. I do. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's from like because I have some you know Christian upbringing and some of oh, that okay. you know that beholding you know that's that's very that's very biblical, right? Well, it's I, not. I, so as a, as a person who doesn't have deep Christian roots, it. <laughs> It reminds me of Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, there's a beholder. That's oh, like a, that's, that's like wild. A, that's like a monster in in Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> which says a lot about me, I think, on many levels. Uh, but yeah, yeah, but that's interesting. So in so so I don't think of it in in um, in terms of religion. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, that word just shows up a lot in. Oh, like and, someone beheld something, right? Or like specific. I, I, I always hear it like in like there's behold, like an angel oh, or something. Right. Behold, an angel has appeared. Yes. So it's not just look, right? It is like you know, take it in. Yeah. Like this, this is happening. Understand it. This is not right. just a thing. That's yeah. No. That's behold. Good. Behold and behold. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I I love that word though. It's like you're you're holding it. It's that yeah. you're you're gonna spend time with it. Yeah. Carry it. Be hold, right? So be be like hold it, but be with it as well. So there's a be there's a right. Uh, yeah. Be present with it. Hold yeah. it for some time. 
Mm. You know, be present with this. Yeah. And try and feel it as an experience and understand it as an experience instead of, yeah, I think that's nice. It's a, but it it is on a continuum, and I and uh, and I do think many of us don't um, like. I think about the way that people consume music, or or in some cases even like other. I mean, this is why I think movie theaters um, will potentially never disappear because it's a very different experience. It's much more beholding, I guess, sure. to see a movie in the theater where you know you're not going to pull your phone out and like check your TikTok in the middle of of a movie in a theater whereas at home you do right i sadly. think some people do sadly they do they well yeah do. but but there it's it's harder because there's a social contract right that the movie always starts with which is like don't pull out your cell phone dummy and then also it's it's somewhat policed by the people around you like it, i've been in the theater where somebody's pulled out their phone and you're like hey like can you not do yeah. that Right. Yeah. If, 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 Get out if of here. Mount Sinai is calling because you've got a, an emergency surgery to do, then you probably should take that call in the hallway. But otherwise, you're you know, not that important. You're not that important. Let's just yeah. be honest. Yeah. But I, I think the other part about this episode, and we'll put a link in the in the show notes that I want to bounce off you is this idea of steam. Yep, I knew that was coming. That's, that's you thought that's so. Where, yeah, that's where the that's well, that's where not the, the point. Storm cloud is coming. Right, I'm that's coming. I, that's not the point of nope. me sharing it. It was not at all my point of of sharing it because I really want to. Because I think that more so than we believe in the arts. I think you and I both believe in it. Not only in terms of people who you know appreciate the arts, whether it's music or you know you know actual you know visual art or whatever, movies, books, the whole all of it. Um, we're appreciators of that. Um, and we're also active writers and we engage with things and we create this silly little podcast and all that. Silly. But I think that we are we see the practice of art or the teaching of art in schools as more akin to what we would like our students to experience in science because yeah. they make art yeah. in art class. They don't talk about like – I mean, maybe there's an art history class, but if you go to an art class, they're making art. Yeah. And this was the episode probably in season one or something that we, when we brought Leslie on to talk about like how the practicing of art should be like model for us as science teachers as practicing science that we want them to actually engage in the practice of science in science class. Um, But that's not what these folks are saying. And that's not what, and maybe they didn't say it. Adam Grant said it. He said, well, this is why we should do STEAM instead of STEM. Mm-hmm. And I'll leave that there for you because I think you probably have some strong opinions about this. I do have very strong opinions about it. But I also think related to that, they were sort of making this argument that art should be integrated across the curriculum, which is yeah. where this idea of STEAM came from. So now I'm going to say not a fan of STEAM, not a fan in fairness of STEM. I think – this is actually a um, this is a consequence. I mean, you know where I'm going. It's either buckets or lists for me. So we're gonna, <laughs> this one's a bucket based problem. Oh wow, <laughs> buckets or lists? People always bucketing and listing everything. But this is the thing, right? Like we have an entire system that's built on the idea that science and math are not the same thing, that art isn't related to any of them, that English is in its own bucket, that we've bucketed everything in, in extreme ways, right? And in, in all sorts of ways in our 
especially in our school systems. Now, out in the world, these things blend together in a much more natural way. And if we look back into the history of of humanity, right, these disciplines that we now describe them as, like, they didn't exist. Like, and they talk about this in the in the episode, things like cave paintings and like how how much storytelling how much of like human activity was just it's what we did we didn't like say activity right it's It's just not i'm gonna go tell a story and that's gonna be english time and then i'm gonna go paint on the rocks and that's gonna be art time and then i'm gonna you know make my spear for hunting and that's gonna be science time or whatever you know (laughs) so this whole this whole like arbitrary bucketing of things and then what happens is we prioritize a set of buckets and math and reading are always prioritized no matter what where you are in k-12 those two buckets are always important sometimes science is number three social studies i don't even know if you can count it as number four it's more like seven there's some just ones where they're like anything else besides that and then you know down the road you get art and music and blah 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 And I think what ends up happening is those, and we see this in science too, right? Like we make this argument that science is important in elementary and then we need to integrate it into. So whenever something is excluded, they spend a lot of time, whoever that group is that's been excluded, spend a lot of time trying to argue for why their stuff is important for the things that we already include. And if we would just include the thing that we do into the things that are already included, those things that are included would get better. And that's essentially the argument of this, right? Which is that art should be integrated across these because it it has a productive impact on people's ability to do these other things. And I agree with that. I think the problem isn't that they should be integrated back in. The problem is that we've bucketed everything out. And so now we've got this system where arts has to make an argument that they matter to science and math instead of saying, why do we have... Why do we have these arbitrary boundaries? Why do we have a biology class and a chemistry class and that those classes essentially don't talk to each other? Like that's insane. And that's in in our own area. That doesn't even, you know, in our own quote unquote discipline, right? And we've seen the collapse of these buckets in science over time, right? That biophysics, whatever, that all these areas now have blurred and people, you know, get degrees in computer science and go work in a biology department because they're doing data science and biology. So, you know, these, we've created all these buckets and now we're realizing that these buckets have done harm, right? That they, they have disadvantage, not just advantage. And so, um, our, in our effort to analyze experience, we have denuded experience of its value, and now we're trying to figure out how to, what to do about that. Denuded? Denuded. Nice. All right. Yeah. Well, take a, t- to take away from them. To sure. Yeah. I, I didn't... I know I you didn't, knew what it meant from context clues. I'm just, I, but I just wanted to point out the use of the word denuded, <laughs> which I... <laughs> denuded. One of the things that when you talk about the bucketing or the like removing of the buckets, um, I, one of the when I was like maybe a second or third year teacher, I had a uh, a principal who was really uh, she was an assistant principal actually, um, who was really trying to change how we taught at the school, and so she took a whole group of us to uh, the Coalition of Essential Schools. Oh yeah, the Ted Sizer stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so we went to the national conference. There was like maybe. 10 of us, 12 of us, which just blew my brain wide open in terms yeah. of how they taught 
and the types of things they asked their students to do. And that was the first time and probably the only time that I saw like this no bucket experience. There was no like it was just learning. Yeah. It was just learning because it was like wherever the learning took us, that's where we're going to go. Mm-hmm. And it was and I know there are other schools besides the the Coalition of Essential Schools model that does this kind of thing. But we are like really into making buckets in schools. Oh, yeah. We, we are a bucket based school system. Yes. Yep. We bucket by age. We bucket by discipline. We bucket by ability. We bucket by we, we're happy to bucket people. Right. We, we like it because we yeah. think it because and the irony is we think it leads to to I guess people honestly believe it leads to equity, which I really struggle with. But at the very least, they think it leads to equality. Um, which of course is troubling as a notion anyway, but, um, cause but like if we, a, if we elevate it to having its own bucket and mm-hmm. a dedicated time in the day and a dedicated time in the curriculum that says every student graduating must get this, you know, course yeah. in or a credits of their course, this credits in science or credits in art to graduate then somehow we've made it more valuable. Yep. But what always happens when we do that is we introduce competition because now you're saying, oh, well, I can't, I don't have time to do science or I don't, I can't do X or I don't. Right. So it's, um, it's that, that outcome is, is, pernicious too. Like, I don't like that idea. Like, Oh, we're going to say, you know, elementary school, we need more science. So the answer, the question always then is, well, what do we cut? Let's cut art. Let's cut 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 art. Or or even if they agree to cut reading or a little bit or say, well, we'll make, we'll make some of the texts that they read, the nonfiction texts they read be science-based. And that's where the science instruction is going to, you know, it, it becomes this, um, you know, the bucketing is a secondary effect of the fact that we have limited school time and then we have these assessments that don't take into account variability of human learning. And so so because they always test the same time for every kid and say that that tells you something about the, the, <laughs> how well the school does, you know, like so the insanity goes all the way down. It's turtles all the way down. But. But bucketing is certainly a big problem with this. And then the fact that people who are not in a primary bucket have to spend a lot of their time arguing for why they're important. Yeah, they, I think the people who are like really into testing mm. don't realize how flawed that is. That's an interesting question. I wonder if that's true or not. I, yeah. I don't I mean, know. I, don't you think like if when when you start to really peel it away and say okay you're you're testing in I don't know I don't know what the testing window is in Pennsylvania this year but it's usually March April March, right April, yep 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 but like that in March like let's say in a community there are parents who are more able to hold their kids back and say, you know what? My kid's not ready to start kindergarten. I'm going to hold yeah. off and, yeah. you know, so that they'll be decision, six. And they send them to preschool in between. Right. right. They send them to preschool. 
you know, to just get some socialization because they have the ability to send in their preschool. Yeah, exactly. And so now when they're taking that test in April, you know, May, April, March, April, whatever, they're now older than the kids we're comparing them to in another yeah. district. Yeah. That may not – the parents may not be able to send their kids to preschool and they had to send their kids to kindergarten only because maybe they're a single parent or maybe they're – you know, both work outside the home or whatever and they they see that as a viable childcare option school. Yeah. Yeah, that like right there. That's the like that just or, do, or don't even have the social capital to know that it's okay to hold your kid out. Sure, like they just assume that oh my kid is of age, so they have to report together. Right. Yeah, it, they, it's because they don't know that they have the power to not. It's just bananas. Like that right there is going to. I guess this is that outliers book, right? Yeah, the outliers is. book absolutely takes you know, all of this to task because they looked, I think the best example was the hockey example sure, in the yeah, outliers the classic, book, yeah. the classic example. Cause they just looked to see that all the kids who were the real phenoms or hockey were the ones who were always getting more playing time, more practice time because of where they're, where they fell in terms of when they were born and which made them physically bigger. So they were yep. the older kids, the ones that were six, eight, nine, ten 10 months older than the other kids in their same quote unquote age group. Right. So the ones that were born in January instead of December, um, those kids were just naturally bigger because it turns out if you're 10 months older and you're five years old, that, it, that it makes it a matters. difference in yeah. your size. And so as a result, you get better teams and you, play better coaches and you improve more and blah, 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 blah. And so, so that you get accelerated improvement because you get this initial gift of, of there's an arbitrary cutoff. And depending on where you live next to that arbitrary cutoff in terms of your birth, you're more or less likely to succeed. Yeah. I know that's a far distance from the original topic of conversation. Well, <laughs> but, sort of, but there's a but, through line, right? Yeah. There's a through line that arts matter. This yeah. matters. This stuff matters, not just because, you know, it helps with the cognitive aspects for learning, but it just brings like kids like art. Yeah. Like I, I will say I, my kids in elementary school, well, they didn't do science as often as I'd like them to, but they never, when they did, they never came home and said, Hey, look, this is the thing I did in science class today. Yeah. We still have stuff in our house that our kids created like every Christmas we put up these little Santas that mm -hmm. they made in one of their art classes because yep. they were all and they did this project when my daughter was in elementary school and then my son was. So we have both of them. They made these little cone Santa things that still get put up in our house, you know, 15 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, ultimately the argument for art for me, shouldn't be it helps with X or it helps with right. Y or whatever. It's like art is valuable. We yeah. shouldn't be arguing about is science more valuable than art? Is math more valuable than art? Is reading more valuable than art or music or whatever? Like, because again, now we've created buckets. And then once we have buckets, we got to put them in a list and we got to say which one's at the top of the list and which one's at the bottom of the list. And then, and then assume that those, those buckets are cleanly you know, organized, which is to say things, human activity and individual human activity falls neatly into one of those buckets, which we immediately know is nonsense, right? Because you can't, like, you can't do science without math and literacy, right? So, 
these like these arbitrary buckets are just insane. So yeah, I think that's the disappointing thing is like that we have to have these very smart women who've done deep research about this come on and talk about cognitive neuroscience because that's the only way to convince people that art is valuable, that cognitive neuroscience says it helps improve learning or Nobel Prize winning or whatever, right? It can't just be, hey, actually, art is super important to who we are as human beings and we it should be part of what we do. And it brings us joy. Yeah. But all these things bring us joy too. Like that's the other thing is then, then it implies that like uh, you can't get joy from science or math or, or English, right? Like the, those all areas of human endeavor provide us a sense of self-worth and joy. Like that's why we do them. We don't, we don't do them for functionality. We do them because they bring, but that's not how we think about it. Well, so I think the, their their book and the episode are important the Adam Grant episode while I don't I don't think that it's necessary for us to make this argument cuz you and I are already on team art yeah there team are art. team art yep there are people who this will be compelling maybe i hope so and, but and and there are dis- decision makers and it would be great to live in a world in which this argument wasn't necessary. It would be great. Yes. It would be great to have schools where this argument wasn't necessary. It would be great to have art classes be as well-funded as our science classes are or our athletic teams. Sure. Right? It would be great. It would be great that the Penn State you know, football team was – you know, had as much – their budget you – know, was the same budget as the arts. It's just not going to happen. But this type of argument and this research article, somebody, I know my wife was like, I'm going to share this with my principal. I'm going to share this with the superintendent because not that they're thinking about cutting art, but it's one of those things that's always possible. Like, okay, we're losing an art teacher. Maybe we just don't replace them. Or they didn't replace a family consumer science person, which is absolutely somebody like baking and like we've talked about that. That is something that is an art form for people. Yeah. It's a creative outlet. Yeah. But here's the problem, right? Uh, that you and I both know about because we've read David McRaney's book. Evidence is not, yeah. not often not, yeah. a good tool for convincing people that, that things are important. Right. So it's, I, I want it to work that way. I want it to work that people um, take evidence-based approaches and really think about, Oh, this is important. Um, though I think that's tricky too, because evidence is what, what counts as evidence is, is a complicated issue as well, which is part of why we want to change the way we teach sciences. So kids understand the nature and limitations of evidence. But all that said, I don't know that their articles are going to convince many people. I don't think their articles and their, their, um, books, cause they have books about this that I think are targeting people more, um, more sort of public casual readers, not, not scientists, cause they are scientists, um, researchers. I, I'm not sure that it will convince them. I hope it does. And I hope you're right that a few people's minds change about this, uh, and maybe it catches them on the right day or they're feeling, uh, a sense of community in some other way that helps them make that, make that leap. But I, you know, I mean, I think we know that evidence is not, um, is not as powerful as we'd like it to be. 
Sad trombone. Womp, womp, womp. Uh, wow. That's I told you I was gonna be a dark storm storm cloud, and here I am. <laughs> yeah, yes. Because this is yeah, this is my this is my um sadness, really, is that um the bucketing and listing process creates winners and losers. And then the losers of that process have to constantly be banging on the door and explaining why within the current bucketing and listing system, they should be considered valuable. Um, we see this again, it maps, not just to disciplinary areas. It maps to race. It maps gender. It maps to sexuality. It map whenever we bucket and list, we have some people that are marginalized. And as a result of that marginalization, they want to be in the in group, whatever that even means. That doesn't mean they want to join doesn't mean artists want to be scientists, but they don't want to be treated as second-class citizens. They right. want to be and treated as people who have value in and of themselves. Well, that, that turned dark. Yeah, thank you. That's <laughs> what I'm here for. I'm here for I'm here for the badness. Yes. For the sadness and the misery. Merry, Merry New Year. Happy yes. New Happy New, New Year. Year. Woo! Yes. Uh, whatever you celebrate this time of year, I hope I've ruined it for you because <laughs> this, <laughs> this episode's dropping in January 10th. Yep. By the time then, people have like probably thrown aside their resolutions. That's right. Yes. So this this episode brought to you by Scott's miserableness. <laughs> <laughs> As a human being. So I, I think the takeaway is <laughs> art is important because it's awesome. Yeah, art is important it, uh, because it's 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 a human activity that's as important as science and math and doesn't need to be justified just because we can't easily evaluate why it's important. Like that's a banana's way to think about things. I I can't I think I don't have a test for what how art improves cognition, therefore it must not be valuable. I think the other thing that is an important takeaway from this <laughs> is to spend Sorry. some time beholding yes. go behold something yep. go to a, an art gallery behold go to a go musical to a, performance behold you know yeah go to go to the theater go to see dance go to or make stuff too like right go make something make, yeah and don't i mean one of the things i think they talked about is um you know adam grant talks about how he's a doodler and when he's listening to things, he doodles and that there's evidence that that helps people remember stuff. Right. But I think, again, the, the important thing is that he doodles and people. One of the thing that I'm sorry, I'm not remembering their names, but the two women who are the scientists who've been doing this work, the researchers, um, you know, they talked about people coming to them and saying, thank you for this, because it has allowed me to feel like I can produce art like I can I can. I don't feel like art has to be some beautiful, perfect thing that art can just be something that I produce for myself and, and that that is a valuable practice, right? That just, you know, whether it's doodling or whether it's making furniture or whether it's baking or whether it's playing trumpet, right? Like it doesn't matter, but those things, um, we have we have to feel like those are things we're allowed to do, and we don't have to be great at them. We can just do them because they're val the doing of them, just like the beholding of people who do them, is valuable work. Their names are Ivy Ross and Susan Magsiman. Thank you. 
And they're from different institutions. Yes, so. they are. They just work together. Well, and, I, and they serendipitously got together for this book, right? It was, right. they sort of were working in independent lines and found out about each other. So, yeah. yeah. So Joyce, let's move to Joyce, Mr. Dark Stormy Raincloud. Do you have yeah. something over there? I probably got something. <laughs> You're like, I've got to find a joy. If I must. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so my joy recently is, and I'm behind on it, but I'm looking forward to catching up, is Slow Horses. Um, so this is a show on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, it is, the third season is either out or coming out now. I'm partway through the second season. Um, and it is, um, it's a show set in England, mostly in London. And it's, um, it's about, a group of MI5, which is, so MI5, I think if I'm correct, is the equivalent of the FBI in the U.S. So they're like the internal federal investigation group that that does their work inside the country versus MI6, which I think is the external. I may be getting that backwards, but I don't know. One way or the other, they're like either the FBI or the CIA. They're They're sort of the intelligence um, agency that works in England and, and, um, one of the two MI5 and MI6. So, um, they, this is a group of agents that for one reason or another have screwed up or done something that gets them sort of sent to this sort of purgatory called Slough, Slough House. And it's, it's run by Gary Oldman. So he's the head of, of this little group of ragtag, um, uh, people that have been kicked out of MI5, basically, but not kicked out of MI5. They're still in MI5, but they're in this weird little space where they're not real agents, but they're sort of semi-agents. And um, and so they're called the Slow Horses. And uh, and because of Slough House, they bastardized that into Slow Horse. Um, so it's, it's about this, it's sort of a spy crafty sort of uh, show, but it's it's about this group of sort of ragtag folks um, uh, who have their own skills and and are helpful in doing stuff, and they have their own, and then they interact with the MI5, the main group, uh, in interesting ways as well. But the whole cast is great, but Gary Oldman is just he is just a wonder. Um, he in this show he is like. A disgusting person physically like he's greasy haired he never he sleeps in the office with his feet on his desk he's like just sort of disheveled looking mess but he's a brilliant and you you don't know why he's there um but he's really good at what he does and then the people around him many of them are quite good at what they do but they they did something that got them dinged but the show is great it's got a great vibe to it it's a it's a spy crafty show but it's also funny and um and irreverent and yeah it's i i strongly recommend just a quick fact check yep. mi5 is responsible for protecting uk citizens and interests at home okay. by contrast mi6 is responsible for gathering intelligence uh Outside the UK in Boom. support of so, the government's foreign and so I nailed defense. It. Yeah. Nice work. Look at me. I know. All right. Maybe I should yeah. get into Spycraft. I'd be really good. That that sounds – I've never heard of that series. It sounds really interesting. I'm going to check it out. You should. Uh, 
Okay, my so what do you got? Yes. my joy is also a, the a series you recommended uh-huh. to me a few few odd weeks ago because uh, I've been reading the Jack Reacher books, but I haven't mm. actually seen oh. saw some of the Tom Cruise movies. But I watched season mm. one of Jack Reacher, and I just started season two. Just dropped right before Christmas. It started. Yep. Um, I'm just a handful of episodes oh. in. For if you've read the books, it's based on the helicopter one. That's all I'll say. That's all I'll say because I don't really remember the names of the books because the yep. the names of the books are always just kind of like, I mean, maybe they mean something. I don't know, but they're like, to get attention. They're yeah, I guess. But the book, the name of the book, doesn't actually connect to the helicopter at all or anything. No. Yep. Um, but I will say they cast it really well. Like this was a book I really enjoyed. Uh, there's some of them that I, I'm, I, I enjoy less than others because just mm-hmm. of the plot points and, and so on. This is one where there's a lot of flashbacks to Jack Reacher's earlier life and then his, his now. They did make some subtle changes. Like most of the book was set in, uh, in California and in the West. Mm-hmm. And this part of the book is, and it culminates in Colorado, in Denver. And I think that the series, at least the trajectory, at least I see it going, it still culminates in Denver, but most of it's set in New York okay. and the uh, outlying areas like Brooklyn and and Atlantic City and, you know, yeah. so, which is a, a, a big change, I guess. I don't know. I'm sure that, that if you, the writers would probably have a reason for, for doing that, but yeah. um yeah, but it was a very, a very big difference from, you know, but I really enjoy... Uh, what's his name? Uh, Alan Rickton. Is that right? Or could be. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. The guy who plays Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher is a much better yeah. uh, actor for it than Tom Cruise. Um, and I think that the storyline is, is great. So yeah. yeah, definitely check it out. It's yeah. Jack Reacher season two on, uh, it is on what prime prime video prime. Yeah. Amazon prime. Yeah. yeah. I mean, when you when you see him in the role, you realize why Tom Cruise was miscast. Because if you've read any of the books, Jack Reacher is like a physically imposing human being. Yeah, like six five, two hundred and something, like solid muscle, like a killer, literally, and massive. And in you know, Tom Cruise is none of those things. Right. He's he's and, smaller than you and me. Yeah, which and is we're and we're and we're not big people. We are not big people. <laughs> so this guy is is a slab of beef and he, but he's got exactly the right disposition. He's got the, he's got the like absolutely bone dry sense of humor that Jack Reacher has. And, um, but looks like somebody that you don't want to bump into in a dark alley if he's pissed at you because you're probably end up being very broken. So broken. um, Yeah. By a slab of beef. He's, he is a slab of beef by any other name. Like, come on, man, that guy is, (laughs) he is yoked. As you would say. So good. All right. Yeah. Well, there we go. There we go. Another episode. Yeah, some joy helped, helped you find some joy at the end of this this yeah. episode, Mister Dark Stormy Raincloud. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Buckets you know. and lists. Buckets and lists. I think if somebody somebody should go back and listen to the beginning of this episode and do the drinking game whenever no. Scott talks about a no. bucket or a list. Yeah. Or go back through the, the archives. Whole, the whole archives. <laughs> I don't know. I, it'd be interesting to figure out when I started ranting lists and buckets. Oh, I've lists. Had, I've had that language for a long time. Yeah. But, but I don't know yeah. when it first, first reared its ugly head on this television show. <laughs> 
<laughs> your aversion to listing yes. and bucketing. All yes. right. right. Yes. We'll leave that there. Yes, and we'll we catch will. you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now. <laughs>